Well, today on the uh, program, we're going to take a look back and I hope forward at what is going on in Afghanistan. A little bit earlier on in the summer when I was in Saskatchewan, we had this opportunity to meet with a young Afghan woman, Benin Arjman. She and some of her young school girl colleagues were able to escape with the help of some aid organizations and they are living happily ever after in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. But that raised the question for us again, which is what has happened to Canada's promise to bring those Afghans that served alongside and with our forces in Afghanistan to bring them here and out of the hands of the Taliban. Every week as a senator, I get dozens of emails from Afghans. And again, we have no idea whether they're real or not, I'm assuming as I read them that many of them are, asking, uh, begging for us to try and bring them to Canada as our government promised it would do. We've turned, as we have in the past, to retired Major General David Fraser, an honoured and decorated man for his service. He served as the Brigadier General during Operation Medusa in Afghanistan. And when uh, we saw the Taliban take back over, it was unfortunately in Canada on the eve of an election call or at an election call. And so many of the um, programs just kind of got lost in the fray. But David and his military colleagues and journalists and other people gathered around to try and do something. So let's go to David Fraser and say, where are we at? What on earth has happened? Well, Pamela, it's good to be with you today. And uh, it's a great question because there is a mission that is still yet to be finished. And that mission is to bring 40,000 Afghans, uh, including their families and loved ones, to this country. And many of those actually served our country. Without their contributions, Canada could not have done anything in in that country in our longest uh, commitment in any conflict uh, in history. So we have a moral obligation to these Afghans to bring them to this country. And when you think 40,000, it's not a big number. When we brought 400,000 immigrants and we already have gotten, what by one count, 70,000 Ukrainians. So there's an awful lot that is left to be done. And, and I think it's a, great, it's a great discussion point for today. What's the government going to do to finish off the mission? We're, we're, the numbers are very low, extremely low. We had an update from ministers in August on the kind of the first anniversary, but we're nowhere near 40,000. Uh, nowhere near 40,000. I think we're somewhere about 18,000. Yeah. But uh, you, the, 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 the problem is, is that the bureaucracy is just moving at glacial speed and there doesn't seem to be any political will uh from the ministers of any of the departments, global affairs or immigration, just to get this thing done. And the longer it takes to get done, the harder it becomes because other pressing issues come up like Ukraine and, right. you know, look at tsunamis that are going on. I mean, we've got to get this thing finished. And, you know, we, you know, we just need some political will and some bureaucratic oomph to get her done. I mean, we learned at the time and, and I don't want to rehash too much of it, but Our ambassador had fled. We sent information out to Afghans and said, come to the airport and we'll have planes there for you and 
bring your papers. And then they said, yes, but if we bring our papers, we'll be identified and killed. And when they got to the airport, there were no planes that, to get on uh, anyway at that point. Everybody remembers that image. It was an American plane, of course, of an Afghan hanging on to that plane as it took off and falling to his death. It, it's just, it, it's so shameful. And <laughs> I, what, what did we blow it from the beginning? I think everybody blew it from the beginning. Uh, the, the assessment of how long the Afghan authorities were going to stay when the Taliban started making the push was completely under, underestimated. The far be, beyond the political decision to pull out, it was just how fast this thing unraveled and yeah. even surprised the Taliban. So it was a bit of a pickup game to get in there to start pulling people out who needed to come out. And Canada did not demonstrate a, a successful mission there. It was actually a fiasco. And it was something that we shouldn't be proud of and we should ask them pretty hard questions because when Americans, British, Ukrainians were sending troops into right. the city, we sent emails. And those people never got to talk to anybody. Our, our embassy wasn't as very much healthy, as you say, the ambassador wasn't there, the global affairs people, it, it just... It was not good. And the other thing I would say is the U.S. have done an after-action review on this, scathing, but they're going to learn from it. The British have done an after-action review, scathing, and they will review it and they will change. Canada, nothing. And this is just, I'm so disappointed that we haven't taken the opportunity to see what we could have done. And so it doesn't happen again but it wasn't a highlight for any country, uh, including ours. So you had retired from the military. You're currently the president of uh, Age of Six Corporation. This specializes in risk management and strategic communications. And I know you and some of your former military colleagues actually worked privately and behind the scenes to get people out, things that the government was incapable or unwilling to do. Yeah, so, so before Afghanistan fell, uh, two other retired generals, Dennis Thompson and Dean Milner and I got together and said, hey, look, we're, we're committed to this mission because, you know, we served there. Uh, we lost uh, great Canadians who were serving there and internationalist, you know, people. And we owe it to the Afghans to get them out. So we wrote a letter. Never did we think it would unravel as much as we did. We got associated with organizations like Journalists for Human Rights and uh, Amand Laura, just to name two. And it's an ad hoc volunteer groups, uh, charitable organizations. And today, over a year later, we're still at it. It's, it's just staggering that we're still at it. And in fact, I was just texting and, and on Signal with our Afghan group, because we're still receiving applications. We're hearing the stories that you're hearing. Uh, we're working with the government authorities, but it is very difficult to try to keep their morale, those Afghan morale up. Uh, well, at the same time, bureaucracy just seems to be chugging along with no output. What What is the um, reasoning, do you think, behind this? As you say, when we put our minds to it as a country, we can bring in Ukrainians. We have done this for decades in our country. When there's a humanitarian crisis, we act. And Canadians as individuals have stood up and 
written the checks and helped and and opened homes and and made that kind of a difference. Why is it that government can't get its head around this particular issue? Uh, in a word, will. It's you know they don't have the will to do it, and and it's not a priority. I mean, the they're well-meaning, and and I. And I commend the bureaucrats that we're dealing with. And, you know, and I, I believe that the ministers are sincere in what they're saying. But there has to be grit. There has to be a shoulder put behind those words to actually not just talk about it, but actually do it. And I think Canadians are owed action and not just words. And what we're seeing right now is a half-hearted attempt to get things done. And we're, we're close to getting this thing done. But they just have to lean in one last time, put it across the finish line, and let's just move on. But right now, it's just not a priority. So it's kind of off the radar. I mean, as I said, a statement sort of around the anniversary and then nothing. I mean, the the letters and the emails that I get are are very, they're still having the same problem they had a year ago. They've got documents and, and they've got nowhere to take them. Sometimes they're in a third country, their documentation has expired, so they're left there. Half of them, if not all of them, have some family that's still alive, but many have family members that have been killed because of their association with us. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, and this is where I, I think leadership, we need some leadership, we need some determination. And I look at our own prime minister and saying, You've got the mandate letters given to your ministers, and this is part of one of the mandate for immigration. Why are you not leaning on your immigration minister to say, get on with it? Uh, this country's got some serious things to worry about and to work on, like inflation, Ukraine, uh, right. the economy. You know, we still got to bring in immigrants to, to make this you know, country work. But why are we still talking about this a year after the fact and counting? Pamela, you're absolutely right. This is where the prime minister's got to get angry and and quite frankly, not be singing Bohemian Rhapsody, you know, he should be on the phone to the immigration minister saying, hey, I want this mission finished. And what, you know, and I'll give you another task once you get it done, but finish it. These people, I mean, as you know, I was in Afghanistan several times. These are the people that interpreted and guided and were every much, every bit as your, at your side as your fellow soldiers. They were certainly with us when we went out to meet tribal leaders or to see our troops in actions. Like we literally could not have conducted what was a very successful operation for Canadian men and women of the armed forces. Our reputation was upheld and proved once again. And now this. Your Pamela, you saw it firsthand. They weren't in, just interpreters. They were cultural advisors. The, right. Afghanistan is a exceptionally complicated mosaic <laughs> of cultures and tribes and, and you know, regional politics. And my cultural advisor, and I, I hired him as an interpreter, but I said, that's wrong. As soon as I got yeah. there, he said, you are my advisor. You're, you've got to tell me what, not what the word said. But what's going on behind the words and, yeah. and you know, the understanding the difference between the Tajiks, the Hazaras, or the Pushtuns. And, you know, the Durrani line, which separates the Pushtun society, where, in fact, there is no country of uh, Afghanistan or, or Pakistan. It's just the, you know, the Pushtun uh, society and they're broken out of the tribes. These yeah. men and women who served us allowed us to actually have a successful mission. We didn't have them. 
we wouldn't be talking about success. We would be talking about just a, a, a military engagement that wasn't very helpful because the people, were, we would have disassociated ourselves with people. And this speaks to one thing that I want to emphasize. This truly was Canadian. Canada is multicultural, multi-ethnic. These Afghans are multicultural, multi-ethnic. Mm. And this is where we actually share an awful lot in common. And so we should actually you know, think about bringing these people over because they would fit into Canada perfectly. They're hardworking, well-meaning people. Yeah. We need people to work in our economy. I can't think of another nation that you know is better than the Afghans that I serve with. David, for people that are sitting out there asking the same questions that you and I are today, what what can they do? What what should they do? What would help you do what you're doing? Well, at the tactical level, you know, you go to groups like Journalists for Human Rights and you go to Amandora and, and you open up your pockets. And if it's five dollars, ten dollars, whatever you can give, if you can't give it, tell your friends to give some money because it goes directly to help out those Afghans. On the other side, get in contact with your MP, get in contact with the prime minister and just, you know, this is a bipartisan uh, issue. This exactly. has got nothing to do with liberals or Democrats. Or This is about Canada. Canada stands for human rights. I am proud to be a Canadian wear the flag to talk about human rights and about diversity. And then I look at what we're doing in Afghanistan, and it actually, it, it disappoints me. So I would go back to the prime minister to say, you know, why don't you just finish this mission off? Because this is what Canada is about, and this is what we all strive for. We're a nation of immigrants, so let's just finish it. Put our actions where our rhetoric is. Exactly. <laughs> Action. Let our actions be our calling card. Yeah, let it be. I, I thank you so much for continuing on this um, this fight. You have just been relentless, and those around you. And I hope we can all just take your advice and put this back in. To the lens again. I know, as you say, everybody is facing a lot of other issues uh, these days, but we can't let this one um, fall off. Uh, we really and need Pamela, it. thank thank you for keeping it alive. This this is yeah. important because this is what Canada is really about, and we owe it to these people. We owe it to our own citizens. So thank you. Yeah, we owe it both ways. Retired Major General David Fraser, uh, 32 years of service in the Canadian Armed Forces, currently the president of Aegis 6 Corporation. But most importantly, he does put his actions where his rhetoric is, and he does uh, save lives. Thanks, David, very much. Thanks, Pamela. Good. We'll talk again soon, I'm sure, to follow up. And as I mentioned at the beginning, just for some context around this, where you're going to meet this young woman, Benin Arjman, 19 years old. Talk about courage and guts. She fled Kabul in September last year and uh, got herself, it's a long and winding route. She'll tell the story. She's in Saskatoon, going to high school at Nutana. And uh, we had a very interesting conversation with her that's coming up right now. Welcome to No Nonsense. I'm going to tell you a bit of a story today because recently when Prince Charles was in Canada, uh, I had the opportunity to go and meet with uh, people who were involved in some of his charities. And I met a group of young Afghan women. And of course, because I'd been to Afghanistan, I took uh, interest in this. So we are going to speak with one of those young women in just a minute. But let me give you a little bit of background. 
first. Uh, one of Afghanistan's um, very first co-ed schools was founded in 1998, was located in a poor neighborhood of Kabul. Over the course of the next 20 years, it became a beacon of hope for many. In August of 2021, as you all know, the Taliban violently took back Afghanistan. Hundreds of schoolgirls went into hiding. The Taliban prohibits girls' educations past the age of 11, and many feared being forced into, quote, marriages with Taliban fighters, having seen these kinds of atrocities happen before. Then the 30 Birds Foundation stepped in, and I will explain. This was a team of eight ordinary citizens, journalists, lawyers, human rights activists, and Afghan expats incorporated as 30 birds. After evacuating the school's founder and his family, they turned their attention to the girls who as young athletes, artists, medics, and musicians were also receiving death threats from the Taliban. Determined to continue their education, these girls played an active role in coordinating their own escape. Under duress, moving in small numbers from city to city past the Taliban checkpoints, they would eventually help the 30 Birds group guide more than 400 Afghans, including family members and various activists for female education, safely across the border. So a word on the 30 Birds Foundation. This is, uh, also comes from a story. 1,000 birds set off in an epic quest in search of enlightenment, wisdom, and the phoenix, whom these birds hoped could revive their community. After a long and arduous journey, only 30 birds advanced to the final part of the journey. They reached the location where they had been told they could find the phoenix, but they only found a lake. Disappointed, the 30 birds peer into that lake, but they see only their own reflections. They realize that there is no phoenix. There is no phoenix waiting for them. The 30 birds realize that they are in fact the phoenix. No one else is going to revive their community for them or save them. The 30 birds are responsible for bringing their own community back to life. It's a great and wonderful story. And thanks to the humanitarian support of 30 birds and the Prince's Trust, the UK uh, Charity, the Raoul Wallenberg Center for Human Rights and Governments. Many of these young women are now in Canada and they're surviving and thriving. So let me introduce Oma Benin Arjmand. Oh, she's giving me the head shake there. I've got it really close, but I'm going to call you Benin, right? Absolutely. Okay, yeah. that's great. Welcome and nice to see you again. Uh, thank you. Nice to see you. <laughs> I, it was my pleasure. It is my pleasure. So tell us a little bit of your story. How did you end up in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan? Uh, so as we all know, um, after Taliban attacked Kabul last year, it's last year? Yes, it, it's not even a year. It's just right now, August. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it is so hard. So when Taliban attacked Kabul and take uh, Kabul back, so um, everyone was disappointed. And it was so hard for all of us. Like, I, myself, I got depression. Like, I didn't go outside for a week because it was so hard to believe that we are going back to 20 years ago that woman has no right in a in our country and 
we cannot go to school and do what it, what we did before. Um, so all of this happened, and after after that, so uh, Thirty Birds helped us to um, get Canada visa. At the first, no, no one can believe that because <laughs> it was like a uh, magic for that on that time. Because we had no more dreams, and everyone everything was done for us. So yeah. when we heard that, the it was very good um, news. So. We decided to go to Mazar because um, we used to uh, fly from there mm -hmm. to uh, Pakistan. We went there in Mazar, and we've been there for 13 days, the most hard days yeah. in my life. Yeah. I never experienced that because um, our hotel was very close to a street. It was in a street, and there was lots of Taliban Every second, every minute, they're going and coming. Even in our hotel, it was so hard for us to go out or come in. So, on thirty days, we just we just alive, nothing else. And um, after that, um, the thirty birds call uh, takes back contact back to our our teachers and say that we had to go to Kabul and back to and from Torham. From border, we had to um, go to Pakistan, and that was so hard. Cause going How back on to earth Kabul, did you? Yes. So first, you had to go back, and this is all now controlled by the Taliban, yeah. and we know that they are vicious, and we know what yeah. happens to young women. Yeah, and yeah, it was so hard being um, in Mazar, the place that you don't know, the city that you don't know, and right. uh, attacked by a uh, uh, like humans that you don't know and they are like stuck in the past and they don't know nothing about humans right and right. Um, especially uh, women's right it was so hard and when we come back to Kabul um, we we couldn't believe that they will contact us to, back to you can go Pakistan uh, but at that night um, they called us back that you have to go to Torham at tomorrow eight o'clock and we we didn't arrive home. We decided to go back to uh, Torham, and it was one night again in Kabul. We have been there, and then we and went. is this? Are you with other girls or with your families or ev how big a group is this? So our group was about. I'm not. Pre I'm not very sure about the um, how how many people was yeah because there, you were but, all kept separately yeah. yeah but it was around 200 people's wow. yeah and we all um traveled like separately but at the, the same time like different uh, cars that if we be in a one bit bus or car so absolutely they would know they that would something know. is yeah. wrong yeah. yeah and yeah and so we was with our families and some of our friends in this journey yeah so then you eventually got to Pakistan. Yeah, uh, from Torham border, we went to Pakistan, yeah. And then the 30 birds and other people helped get your paperwork done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they sent us um, the night that we uh, went back to Kabul. They sent us the uh, uh, border pass that mm -hmm. we can pass a border with that paper. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it was so hard because uh, we had to done that like in secure, sec like 
very with security like yeah we can't go everywhere to print that papers so no we had exactly to be, yeah yeah very careful about that <laughs> so how many of you got across into pakistan um at that time uh so we uh, passed the uh, border two two days our team yeah. so we was uh, in like in first group um around i'm sure around 1900 peoples wow. in one day and the day after that and um, like again half of the team yeah. uh, passed the border so and and you're doing this kind of clandestinely in dark of night and being careful and yeah. trying to look normal and not trying to yeah. get the attention of the Taliban so yeah. that they might Absolutely. wonder. Yeah. So then uh, how did Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada come up? Was that, uh, was that the 30 birds that arranged where you would land or did you just look at a map and point and say there? <laughs> <laughs> so um, of course, no, we, like, Look at the map and say, <laughs> so um, 30 birds um, arrange uh, all of these things. And yeah, um, and we came to Saskatoon after being a month in Pakistan. Pakistan for a month. For a yeah. month, yeah. Um, and still, I couldn't believe that I'm here. <laughs> what did you have with you? Like, what were you allowed to bring? Did you have clothes or music or anything that nothing? I mean, um, at that time, I I delete everything from my phone. That like I had my photos from my martial art and my school and everything. So I delete all of them and I put them in a um, in a memory. Yeah. But I lost it in way because I had to hide it. Yes. And I bring nothing. Even I I loved my book and I at the la in last night I just look at those books and I said I couldn't read that and I will I couldn't find a time to do that and I was so sad about that because I we we are not allowed to bring anything right. and it that was, was so your hard. story that was your life until yeah the change came yeah yeah um absolutely and the hardest thing that I bring is my martial arts clothes that because it was so meaningful for me. I start, my life uh, become meaningful when I start martial art right. and it, it grow, I grow up when I start martial art and I couldn't leave my clothes over there. So I got a big risk of yeah. bringing that. Um, the, in they morning, would not be happy about girls taking martial arts. Absolutely <laughs> not. When they, I, I couldn't believe if, if they find my clothes so... I will not be here today. Yes. Yeah. So you landed in Saskatoon in October. Yeah. Did people tell you about winter? <laughs> <laughs> in Pakistan, they said that winter gonna be so cold, but I couldn't imagine this much. <laughs> like our lashes are freezing, freezing yes. in the winter. Absolutely. Where, where, when you landed here, where did you go? Who do you live in? Do you live with a family? Are you in a residence? What, what, what happened when you got here? So when we got here, uh, at the first we was in quarantine for like 14 days after yes, that. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah um, open door, arrange everything, and uh, they helped us to find home. And 
I am with my family now. Uh, we are living in Saskatoon, in East Side. And, and your family from Afghanistan? Uh, yeah, my mom and my dad, my parents. Both your parents were able to come. Uh, yeah. Wow. So that's a very that's didn't happen for everybody. Uh, yeah, th- that's very good point, and it is yeah. So have they? Have your parents settled? Do they go to work? Do they? So um. Uh, they're over 50, so they're retired. They count as a retired, still they didn't go to work. Okay. Yeah, they're trying to learn Eng- English, right. but it is so hard in this age for them. Yeah, yeah. easier for you. Yeah. A little. <laughs> Did you speak any English when you left Afghanistan? So we had to learn English because it was international language. So At uh, the school? Yeah. At the okay. school as a language, and yeah. And also, we got extra courses for uh, English. And what are you doing here in Saskatoon? So um, I'm uh, I'm going to school, high school nowadays. Uh, yeah. But it's so summer and summer break, yeah. And, and you are nineteen. I'm nineteen, yeah. And you've been through all of this. Yeah, <laughs> like it happens, so you have to deal with everything. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So you'll go back to school in the fall. Uh, I will, yeah. And have you taken up martial arts again? Um, I did. Uh, I'm <laughs> I'm very happy about that. Uh, <laughs> some people from here uh, work uh, help me to, uh, and help our team to find a place to uh, do our martial art back mm-hmm. again. Yeah. So how often do you do that in a week? Uh, twice a week. Twice a week. Yeah. And that gives you focus. It keeps you yeah. connected. Yeah. It 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 feels um, great. Even it is hard, and yeah, it needs lots of energy. But it feel it make me feel confident and also free, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so this is now your home. The, yeah, it is. Do you have any other brothers and sisters? Anybody that's older or younger? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm the youngest in okay. yeah uh, in my sibling. Yeah. And where are your other brothers and sisters? Um, unfortunately, um, they're all around the world, cause when uh, Taliban comes, so everyone like leave Afghanistan as soon as they can. Right. Yeah. And went wherever they could. Yeah, so uh, before Taliban attack, my one one of my sister went to England, uh, United um, United Kingdom. Yeah, and one my uh, one of my brothers is in uh, Sweden. Hmm. After Taliban attacked, my two sister uh, went to United States. They just left Afghanistan, and after that, we came here in Canada, and my uh, brother went to Norwich and my three sisters in back home in Afghanistan. They went home? Yeah, they're back home. Uh, Are they okay? Or why, why did they do that? They uh, No, they didn't went back to home. Oh, they, okay. they are in, in my back home in Afghanistan. They, they are not able to come. Um, oh, they're still there, you mean? Yeah, they, yeah, I they see what you there. mean. Okay. <laughs> no, that's... Uh, and are they okay? How Do you communicate with them? Uh, I do communicate with them, yeah. Um, so, 
we can't say they're perfect or they're really good. They're just um, living there. They're surviving. They're surviving and trying to stay safe. And are they going to try and leave themselves? Um, it is hard to do because mm-hmm. now there's lots of financial problem in Afghanistan and yeah. also it is hard to leave Afghanistan nowadays. So Very, very hard. Very, very hard. And yeah. Have you, um, the Canadian government, which of course helped you, but they've been criticized because we said we were going to bring so many Afghans, the, the men and women who worked with our soldiers and it's all caught up in paperwork and it doesn't look like they're coming. Are, are you trying to talk to the government to say, please bring more? Um, I don't know how to do that. Like connect with government and say, please bring more. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> you can write them a letter. <laughs> um, are you worried for your, about your sisters? Uh, so absolutely. Uh, I am cause yeah, they are my sisters, and they have so um, their own families and their young children. Young children. So, yeah. And and do they have husbands? Yeah. Uh, so one of my sister, uh, her husband works in army. Okay. And yeah, um, so it is very hard for her and for him because uh, nowadays, like. Her husband didn't have any job, and he couldn't find any job because right. he worked in army, and right. he couldn't, couldn't like show up. So it is so hard to leave. Them. What What do they really do? Like when you talk to her, where do they get food? Where do they? How do they live? So, uh, so uh, our uh, family, like uh, my siblings that are in, uh, my brother that is in. Um, I forgot, I just... The United... Or in Norway. Yeah, Norway mm-hmm. and also in uh, Sweden. Uh, yeah. They help her uh, sometimes with... Uh, yeah. Okay, so they can... They find ways to get money in and... Yeah. And do that. Yeah. Because the whole... It's hard to imagine, but the whole culture kind of works on cell phones. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I was surprised when, when I went over there to discover that there were no landlines everybody yeah. in the world had a cell phone and you're thinking it's you know you're in the middle of the desert and and still you know the phones work yeah and everybody was quite sophisticated yeah so that you can transfer money they can still go to a bank they could still uh they can yeah okay. uh, like there's open yeah bank is open but, okay yeah and they can do that without being traced um, what what is do you think you'll ever go back? I wish I I can. Um, I really um, wish, but it take long time. It will not happen so soon. So yeah, yeah. I mean, you were just twenty years ago. I mean, you were just being born when this the fight uh, occurred happened. and yeah. when the troops went in and uh, and yeah. everybody thought that was that was it we were back I mean I went to schools where young girls were learning reading and writing and math and all of those things and then this is it's just like being thrown back into another time another era yeah like I myself I I born in Pakistan I even didn't born in my own country because of war 
my family at the first uh, time that Taliban attacked my family went to um, Pakistan okay yeah so you were actually born there yeah I born yeah. in Pakistan yeah, yeah I even didn't born in my own country uh, yeah. yeah when we like um, in after 2011 that um, a new government uh, mm-hmm. made so our, my family decided to go back to Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah. I grew up there and I went to school there, and things that just keep going. It it, it become better every day, every year. I can see. Uh, I could see it with my own eyes, and I feel it. Um, at the first when when we went to Afghanistan, like. Parents didn't allow their girls a lot to go in a school or doing extra courses or mm. every martial art or singing, none of those. Right. Yeah, but but when time passed, they realized that um, women and men's rights are equal and they can do whatever they want and they, are, they have freedom. They just recognized that and they realized that and right. everything got better, but... In one night, everything yes, that's all it took, yeah. Yeah. because that was the the change that started happening, and the the beautiful blue yeah. burkas that weren't so beautiful because they hid every woman's face, but it was also protection for them, right? So that people yeah. wouldn't recognize when they went. But you could see women lawyers and women professors yeah. and women yeah. parliamentarians. Yeah. So you had something to strive for. Yeah. Yeah, we had. So now what's your plan? <laughs> so um, uh, it is so hard to like think about future because at the first time when I think about future, everything like change yeah. in the way that I never can, could imagine that. So now my plan is to go to university or... Nowadays, I am planning to do uh, the pilot course, if I can, to be a pilot. Ah. Yeah, um, nowadays I'm trying to do that, or I'm just trying to find a little bit information about that, how yeah. to do that, when and how much it costs or everything. Right. Yeah. But it's interesting that you say it's hard to think about the future because you have experienced it just being ripped away yeah and so you're you're kind of in this i'm trying a little bit of limbo yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah i'm trying to like build myself again and think about future again and yeah make my dreams yeah it's just gonna take time yeah absolutely yeah but you can you have that sense of possibility now like you're sitting there saying, maybe yeah. I'll go to university, maybe I'll become a pilot. Right? Yeah, yeah, that that's the good point, and I'm very happy about that. Yeah. How are the um, the other girls? I met a whole group of you in yeah. Ottawa that day. Um, Farang, I remember, who was a big Britney Spears fan, and she is like, does she want to <laughs> sing? Are there? Yeah. Um, so um, all of us now. So, as as you told, now our way is open, and we 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 can do what we want, and yeah. like our dream is possible in here. So, most of us trying to go university, and 
continue our study and make a good future for ourselves and help our um, our people in back home and mm-hmm. other women in the world. So what do you do? I mean, it's hard to um, imagine this, but because of the pandemic and there's been lots of yeah. uh, issues around that, what do you do for fun? Uh, for fun, for so nowadays I'm working and yeah, and my, my fun for nowadays is I have two days off in in week, yeah, and I'm going to martial art on those days, and that's uh, okay. my that's my <laughs> fun thing in nowadays. And after that, I um I'm going with my friends, and after that, we talk a little bit, we go outside a little bit, and yeah. it, it makes me feel better. And do you feel um, like at school? Does everybody understand your story? Do they know? Are they good about that, or do they think you're a strange bird. <laughs> uh, so in a school like um, my teacher, re- yeah, they are really care about us and they understand our story, they listen our story, and they kind of feel that, and they imagine how we pass all of them, and yeah, I appreciate that. They are very good and very kind. So you're, are you, have you got friends outside your group of, of Afghan girls that have come here? Are you making other friends through martial arts or other things? <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, like er- everyone is trying to like make, make new friends or mm-hmm. make new people or build communication. Right. Yeah, we do. What do you think about in the late at night before you've fallen asleep what do you miss about the home that you once had not the way Afghanistan is today with the Taliban obviously but before what what do you cherish about your time growing up sorry I couldn't get I know it's a difficult question let me try again so when you think back about your time in Afghanistan or even Pakistan I mean the, the good things, like what do you miss about that life? What do you want from that life that you don't have here? At that time, so um, as I told, I, I was young, youngest. Uh, so of all yeah. these brothers and sisters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I had no responsibilities when I was in my back home. I... I just went to school, going to martial art, taking my classes, yeah. and uh, all my attention was on my school and my classes. You were just nothing free. To, yes, I, yeah. I was free all the time, and I didn't care about nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but from the day that our journey started, I take responsibility of myself and my mom and dad, and. Yeah because they're old and I did lots of things that like more than that 18 or 19 years old girl yes. can do that and I'm proud of myself sometimes yes. and when I feel down or when I think that everything is overwhelming and everything is like hard I try to tell myself that I I pass all of those so 
yeah, I can do that again. And I, I miss that free girl that did nothing and had no responsibility. <laughs> that doesn't know what you know now and doesn't have yeah. all that responsibility. I mean, that is a lot for a young girl to take on and yeah. try and keep your parents, get help them get through there to try and keep everybody alive, to leave family behind. To yeah. It's... Uh, do you still get sad about those things? Like you talked a little bit about sometimes you're a little depressed or a little sad. Um, so, yeah, like when when a person leave everything behind mm-hmm. and just come here with nothing and start a new life, I think it, it, it is like normal. And yeah, I miss yeah. my family and... I miss how we was together and right. in a month all of us just separated all around and yeah. sometimes it feels um, so bad. Yeah. Yeah. But you think there'll be a day when you can all see each other again? I hope so, yeah. It, it will happen, not soon, but yeah, not it will, soon. not soon. It will take a long time. But that's going to take then work on your part, like you're going to... Yeah dedicate part of your life to this i'm assuming when like when we met i will be a pilot and everyone (laughs) yeah so you can get the planes over there and take them out (laughs) yeah (laughs) well it's really lovely to have a chance to talk to you here and and i i hope people really hear your story because it is for this age you've had to deal with a lot we think it's hard in North America and Canada, if you have to leave home to go to school or if you have to leave home to go to a job, you had to leave home to save your life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it was my pleasure to meet you. Yeah, and it's really, you. really nice to have this conversation. So Bannon Argemand, there, I got it out twice, 19 years old, an amazing um, story. And we thank you for being you. Thank you for... Yeah, and telling us this story and being so able to share it so that we can get a better understanding. It's Thank you for your time. Good luck, and I will see you on a plane sometime that you're flying. Absolutely. (laughs) You can do that Saskatoon to Ottawa route, okay? (laughs) Yeah, great. (laughs) I'm planning to do that. Okay, that's wonderful. Thanks again, and all the very best. Lots of love to you and your family and strength. Thank you. That is it for this edition of No Nonsense. We'll see you soon.